0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula still has all your Star Wars miniatures, all your comic books, and all your Magic the Gathering tournaments every day of the week. But now they're making it easier for wheelchair users to come into their store because they're building an accessible washroom. This one hits home for me, you guys. I'm a person who uses a mobility scooter, and it's just easier for me to use the washroom when it's accessible. And there's a lot of comic shops, even in downtown Toronto, that don't have accessible washrooms. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, Harry Tarantula is doing what they need to do to move the needle forward and make their place more accessible for everyone. They're also building a cafe. Uh, This has been a really uh, successful thing around Toronto, marrying uh, coffee with comics, and uh, Harry Tarantula is following suit. So come on down to 3456 Young Street, show them your support, and tell them Aaron sent you. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Old Town Bodega. Old Town Bodega is back, you guys. After a brief hiatus, the chillest cafe in Toronto has reopened as a bar, located at 402 King Street East, Old Town Bodega finally gets to live up to its inspiration of the speakeasies of the Depression era with a wine list, 12 selections of locally brewed beer, and a small cocktail menu. They're now fully licensed with hours extended Tuesday to Thursday, 11 to 9 p.m., and on the weekend from 11 to 2 a.m., There will be bar snacks aplenty at night, including charcuterie, hummus, and ceviche on their seasonal bar menu. But if you're not exactly a night owl, don't worry, all your sandwiches will still come true, and they're serving those delectable bodega sandwiches during the day. I've had both the Cubano and the Philly cheesesteak, and I'm slobbering all over the mic just thinking about it. The place has a whole new look too with newly upholstered couches and bar stools. So come on down and talk to their lovable owners, my friends Matt and Mara, and tell them Aaron sent you at 402 King Street East. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host Aaron Broverman. Hey, fan people! Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Find us on social media everywhere at Speech Pod. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast needs met. Don't forget to review our show. If you review our show and get in touch with me via DM, I will send you a comic from my personal collection. With me today, we have some of the hottest artists in the industry right now. These are two Brazilian twin brothers, and uh, we have Gabriel Ba, the co-creator and artist of the Umbrella Academy, written by Gerard Way of the band My Chemical Romance, of course, and adapted into the hit Netflix series of the same name. He comes to TCAF to support the new edition of the Umbrella Academy, Hotel Oblivion. We are recording this on TCAF Weekend. And uh, so that's why they're in town all the way from Brazil. We also have um, his brother, Fabio Moon. They've worked together on such projects as Day Tripper. They've worked uh, together adapting Neil Gaiman's uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Uh, Febio specifically has worked with Matt Fraction on Casanova, and then Gabriel took over. He's also uh, drawn the Hellboy spin off BPRD <laughs> and other projects like Bixiu and Serenity. We are so happy to have them in, all the way from Brazil. Welcome, guys.
1: Thank you. It's uh, our pleasure being here.
0: Thanks, Gabriel. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, thank you as well. We're, we're always uh, happy to be able to come somewhere and interact with different kinds of uh, audiences, which makes an entire new experience for ourselves and for whoever is discovering
0: our work. Thanks, Fabio. It's so nice to have you in. Um, before we get into like the deepness of your work and your catalog, I just want to know what it was like growing up for you uh, in in Brazil. What was your growing up life like? Uh, I think
1: uh, there's nothing really special about uh, our growing up, except that we are twin brothers. So we were always together. We were always doing everything together. Um, Drawing all the time. And drawing was this experience that we could share to each other. And... um, that ended up leading to comics and making comics and doing everything together. So, um, but, uh, I don't know, it's, it's such a wide question because we, we grew up like we are 42, we're almost 43. And so we grew up in the eighties, um, very few options of entertainment um, reading comics whatever we could find in Brazil Uh, watching TV very limited options as well so uh, everything just was pouring into the same pot and helped uh, our our interest in uh, telling stories and creating stories yeah this think, kind of thing yeah. I think
2: the important thing is like we <coughs> uh, we grew up together so everything we did growing up was with each other so so we thought that was the norm that was what was natural for us so when and that's I, that's why I think drawing uh, had such a strong impact in our childhood because drawing is something that you can do everywhere so we could be drawing everywhere we drew on on our house we drew on the beach on the sand we could draw on the walls we could draw we could draw uh, at school so drawing became uh, our uh, twin special language something that connected us from the moment we were born and I think that translated to how much we take uh, our work personally, like we make personal stories, we talk about relationships. And I think a part of that is because of how we were introduced to drawing as something that we could share between
0: each other. What got you into drawing? Did somebody introduce it to you or is it something you just always were doing? Well,
2: drawing was something that we were always doing. Drawing was was that thing that every kids, every kid do. They 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 draw as because they have something that that's in their hands and they start to dribble and scribble and but I think because <coughs> we were twins, we didn't stop drawing when other kids discover more interesting stuff like uh, they discover other kids they discover playing they discover sports they discover all these other activities but we stuck with drawing because like i said it's something that we could do together Mm. and and later i think but what i really think made us want to make comics was not exactly drawing but telling stories. So that came much later on. That came only when we started to read some books or comics or maybe seeing films, stories that would uh, resonate. Yeah, they would resonate to us as readers. So we saw like the Goonies as we were kids. And And that for a kid to see kids in movies as the main characters... Has a special like impression on them, and and then we read a Brazilian book uh, called Capitães Areia. It's like captains in the sand, where the main characters are also kids, but they are like street kids in Bahia, living in the the city by the shore. And but because they are they were the same age as us, and the way the way the writer wrote that story in a very seductive way, you wanted to be part of that gang of street kids. And then we started to see how stories have this power to shake the reader, immerse the reader into this other reality and make the reader want to be part of that world. And, and, that's, and uh, at the same time, we saw some of that in comics. We saw some of that in Brazilian comics by this artist called Laerte who had these stories taking place in São Paulo, the city where we grew up. And we recognized the city in his drawings and in his stories. And his stories were kind of surreal. Like there were pirates in the river and there were like fairies and witches and all this (coughs) fantastical stuff. But because of the... Because we recognized the background as our own city, there was this, this feeling that those fantastical stories could happen to us, and so that that power to to infuse this imagination into the reader is also was also very powerful to us. At the same time, we discovered we Wisner's work, which was also very urban and talked about this day-to-day life of the normal people. And so all of that together show us how the stories are really what shake the readers and (coughs) and they could be done in comics and they could be done if you loved how to draw. And that's why we like focus our attention towards drawing and telling stories in comics.
0: Yeah, like it sounds like there are some twins that like to, they want to get as far away from their, their brother or their sister as possible. But you, you guys seem very bonded. You're always doing stuff together. Why, why is that? What is it about how you grew up or your upbringing or who you are naturally that wants you to do what the other one is doing rather than try to separate and establish your own identity? I think,
1: um, I think it was just natural for us. Uh, we got along very well. And uh, we never thought about it. We were just always together, always doing the same things. In school, we were you know, in the same grade, studying the same things, had the same friends. Um, we used to go to the movies together, read the same books, uh, read the same comics. So we never stopped to think about it. Uh, We slept, we we lived together and slept in the same room until we were 23. Mm. So it was just... It was just natural. Yeah, natural. And then
2: our comics career started together because it it felt as natural as everything else. And we had the same career. We were working on the same projects. Only here in the U.S., Uh, we started working we started on separate projects. Working on separate projects. And then that started like to attract a different attention to each project. And people maybe discover one work before the other. And because we were in Brazil, far away, and people only saw the work, <laughs> some people didn't even know we were teens. Or so brothers. Or brothers, because we have different last names, which are fake artistic names. So they... So only coming through the work, people didn't know that we were together all the time. and but for us it, it the most natural way to work is together. Mm-hmm. It's how we I think we come up with the best
0: ideas. Uh, I'll come back to that later. Wh- which one of you is older?
2: I am older. I'm, I'm Fabio. I'm older. I'm 15 minutes older.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice so what is the comic <coughs> scene like in Brazil how do you get a hold of comics uh, I know that our listeners are growing up on like American superhero comics and they have no idea what comics is like in other countries how do you how do you even find comics or like know it's a thing growing up in Brazil
2: well when we were growing up yeah, yeah comics were mostly found on newspaper stands and but in the newspaper Papers, newspaper stands you could find superheroes brought from the fr- from the US like like translated was totally, yes. republished and that was before manga in the 80s there were no mangas in Brazil but so it was like superheroes and there were um, kids comics. The biggest Brazilian author in Brazil is a guy called Mauricio de Souza he has like an empire of comics for kids. So he's kind of the Brazilian Walt Disney. He has a studio, a bunch of people do- doing his characters, has many books. So every kid in Brazil starts to read really early comics. They, they basically learn how to read by reading comics, which is the, I think it's the main achievement of Mauricio. Is like in Brazil, every kid reads comics and then later they stop reading comics. But yeah. it's a great gateway to comics. And, but when we were growing up, that was basically it. Or or you could find, like,
1: some European comics. There were some magazines that were, you know, anthologies publishing European comics. Some alternative uh, Brazilian comics as well.
2: Very few things on the bookstores still. Um, And
1: uh, But then we had this big economic crisis in the 90s. So, mostly... Most publishers broke, uh, were broke. Uh, they they went uh, into bankruptcy. They stopped publishing Brazilian comics because it was, you know, um, uh, expensive for them. So the only publishers that kept publishing were publishing licensed materials, so superheroes pu- republished there, and then manga started coming coming over strongly. And, and these kids comics also.
2: Yeah, so that's where <coughs> that was when we started doing comics, and that's why we started self-publishing. We yeah. started doing fanzines because there was there was nowhere to publish comic Brazilian comics, mm-hmm. if you're not doing uh, kids comic, and even if you're doing kids comic but weren't Mauricio, yeah, then it didn't work as well. So we started self-publishing because of that but nowadays it's it's so different yeah, yeah. nowadays
1: it really has changed uh, since the two early 2000s the publishers started um moving away from news news new stands, n- new stands uh, and going to the bookstores because a book like a graphic novel has a longer shelf Self-life. life uh on a on a uh, bookstore so then they changed this, this, this uh, model of, of working. The distribution.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: they started publishing graphic novels instead of thinner, like monthly floppies. Uh, because the life of a comic in the newsstand is like a month. And uh, after that, it's, it gets returned and you don't really sell that anymore. And uh, it's, it's similar to what happens here in North America. Or used to happen because now, now you have a lot of trades republishing old stuff. But when we started coming to North America, you would have like these stores and in, in conventions, this 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 comic book. Um, um, stores or people with those beans full of old issues yeah back issues yeah back I think issues they
0: used to return the unsold comics but now they don't anymore they don't anymore
1: yeah and, and they don't need to because you know most of what's being published is going to be republished as a trade paperback soon and uh, so this the, the whole trade paperback uh, model didn't exist 20 years ago uh, the way it, it does today. So, but then, you know, going to the bookstores created a different uh, model in the Brazilian market. They started publishing again some uh, European comics, some American comics that were not only superheroes um, and they uh began to publish Brazilian comics as uh, again. so that helped create a new generation of comic artists um who could tell their own stories instead of trying to follow this path or this path. So it's not only trying to do the Brazilian superhero or trying to do follow the same model of the kids' comics um, that were successful. So everyone was trying to find their own voice. And now, now we have, like, lots of publishers, lots of independent creators, self-publishing. And... Uh, And I don't know, it's very, it's very exciting. It's a very uh, energetic energetic market. Uh, But it's very hard to make a living. Yeah, it's it's still a very small market. Yeah, very small market. It's it. People love what they're doing. And, you know, (coughs) sorry. We have one or two very big festivals now that help the creator reach the readers and sell their books and, you know, get some profit, some some money. And so that gives them a boost to keep creating. But for the rest of the year, it's a desert. So we don't have a very sustainable market. Even, you know, even so, there's a lot of creators and new ones coming every day. So who knows? It, it just takes a while. For us, it took 10 years to really break um, break to into the american market and then you know 10 more years to uh, i don't know uh, establish ourselves but even so we can't really stop now and just you know kick back so everything takes a long time and it's a non-stop work in progress i think
0: would you consider yourself at this point successful or like is breaking into the american market the key to finding success in comics Uh, oh it's it's not really yeah it's a larger market Uh um
1: so you have a bigger window to more readers Mm -hmm. and uh, it's very hard to be a very successful creator if you're showing your comics for a thousand people Mm -hmm. you know if you can't grow your audience, you really will not grow as an author, you'll not grow um, professionally, uh, will not be presented with bigger challenges. So, you know, in 10 years, we have done everything that could have been done in the Brazilian market. And, but it's so fragile that um, we are not, uh, we can't live off comics if we only did comics in Brazil. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you know, the American market is very, it's much bigger. Um, uh, there's all these possibilities. There's a lot of, a lot of people who do great work, but don't leave off their comics as well, but they're doing more work and, and, you know, they get their comics, uh, to people. And, and it has a big, um, uh, it has a, a lot of attention from all over the world um wanting it or not there's a lot of people who get access who can read english yeah so you reach international
0: markets
1: (coughs) sorry publishing in english um because international markets are looking to the north american uh comics market to to search to new stuff to see what they're doing here um just just like the french market so but we took um you know it took us several years to break into the american market just because we we took some english classes you know we knew how to 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 speak english uh, and then it was easier for us but after a while we 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 learned how to speak french and to you know to read french to break to, to to get into the French market. The
0: Bon dessinée,
1: Yeah, because it's huge, and there's some things that only get published there, so you have access to a lot of new material that will never be published anywhere, and because our books were getting some attention there as well. So, uh, and it's a huge market. So if we knew French from the beginning, maybe we would go to the French market, because our comics have more in common with the... European comics because they're more you know human relations, day by day life, more normal stuff than the usual um, American comic.
0: And I think stylistically, reading things <laughs> like *Umbrella Academy* and Daytripper, I saw European influence in your style, like the French uh, influence in in your style a little bit. Is that is that something conscious, or is that something you just you just have? Oh well, we
1: we read so many stuff growing up and that all that goes into the melting pot of our styles Mm -hmm. and uh, and that's uh, for Umbrella Academy for example that was one of the things that they were looking for they were looking for an artist who could who was different from the regular uh, American artist who who did who could draw action scenes and crazy stuff but with a different flair than the usual uh,
2: superhero style. Uh, yeah, there, there's this... I, I think a lot of <coughs> American artists they grow up and they don't... they only read American comics mm-hmm. and they learn how to draw by looking at American comics. So they are... their references are, are too small and too limited. And because we were in Brazil like seeing all this stuff, we saw a bunch of superheroes, but we saw a bunch of European artists, we saw a bunch of Brazilian underground artists... Uh all all of that consciously or unconsciously ended up in our work. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that shows up in what we do and that makes it stand out. And eventually we we realize that happened also in the stories we were telling and not only in the drawing, but the themes we choose and how we approach the stories. But visually it's it's a mix of everything that we're constantly uh, studying and searching in other comics and finding other artistic solutions. And
1: mm.
0: I'm interested to know <laughs> how the fact that you're twins uh, influences your process. I I I see that sometimes, like Fabio, you 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 take over or you guys work on the same book you'd you know you, you'd take over for each other on runs of books or story arcs or things like that. So I wonder, like, how do you delineate between the two of you who does what? Uh, I think maybe writers would, because you are living together and you're, you're, you're similar, they might think, oh, well, if I can't get Gabriel, I'll get Fabio or vice versa. How do you sort of delineate your styles can you, or are you called upon to mimic each other? Uh, well, first... We... Like we...
2: For, for us, the most important stuff is the story. So we try to choose who is going to draw... Uh, thinking which style is best for that story. Or sometimes we try to choose the story thinking that we already know which one of us is going to draw so which story fits best our uh, individual style and and that's how we we try to choose who's going to draw what uh, because eventually uh, we our styles they started out more similar when we actually didn't have a style when we just like well we just like to draw we like to tell stories. We had, a, our style was, uh, I don't know, a mix of everything we liked to read. Right. But eventually, as we kept telling stories in Brazil, our styles start to get defined, and we found the artistic tools we really like, so especially in inking. So Ba inks with a pen, and I ink with a brush, and that really defined how different our styles look and this, this, the style choices we make, they're all uh, directed by the inking tools we use. And and then, but even with the different style, because we have grown up together and we have the same influences, we have read the same stuff uh, and we we... Develop our narrative skills together. Uh, there are a lot of similarities in the way we tell the story. So for a lot of readers, they can't really—they—it's possible not to know who's drawing. But for those who really go into it, they know.
0: Mm-hmm. You and seem to have a more page-release style, Fabio, and then you, you, Gabriel, you're a little more uh, straight. It's like a little more uh, like a pen, like you were saying.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, you know, it depends on the tool you're using. So, um, I know of people who ink with a brush, but have a very precise and, you know, detailed style. But then you're losing <coughs> all this expressiveness that the brush can add right. to the inking. So, and, you know, Fabio, Fabio's influences come from Will Wisner or Jeff Smith and and... So people who let the thick uh, brush stroke, you know, weight into the into the page, and and I like the pens because I can achieve this kind of very precise art style and um, edgy. Uh, even though I, I I use a lot of. Um, Black spot areas.
0: Right. it's very angular and geometric.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, even though I like like artists like Moebius or or joff Darrow, uh, who are very organic, or even uh, Katsuhiro Tomo as well, uh, their art is very organic. But I like the more angular uh, type of art because it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, further interpretation of real life, so it's not so naturalistic. And I like that challenge of having to come up with a way of portraying things uh, in a different way,
0: different and um, exciting uh, way. When you're collaborating (coughs) with a writer, someone like Matt Fraction on Casanova or Neil Gaiman on How to Talk to Girls at Parties, and then you're both sharing the drawing chores, that's very different than the usual american comic division of labor so how do you organize the collaboration with the writer right? well we
2: we have to yeah think we, usually, of, yeah, we yeah. have to think of
0: ways to
2: make the art uh, art change art shift help tell the story and so projects like that BPRD 47 or the BPRD Vampire. We did both books on the Hellboy universe. The story had two (coughs) different narratives like a fantasy one and the real world one. So we could have two styles that would help the reader to see, oh, now we are following the vampires in the fantasy world and now we are following the team in the real world. So that was an easier way to work on on having two artistic styles, in Casanova it's more of a matter of Matt uh, knowing t- for which one he's going to write, so he can use the other, the, the, like the artist's strength. So when he writes, he writes differently when he writes to me than when he writes f- to Ba, and and but. Most of the time, it it's like I said before. It's like whatever fits the story best. When we were doing how to talk to girls at parties, it was a book. Like we chose, like we accepted the book, knowing that I was going to draw because I like to draw girls better, and Mm -hmm. maybe my girls, I draw girls better as well. Mm -hmm. So it had so much to do with that universe (coughs) that we knew that I was going to draw that. And
1: so we worked together in the adaptation of yeah. the text and he
2: did the artwork. Right, yeah. because
0: the book was already written. So you guys were basically just adapting it into a graphic novel. Yeah,
2: but adapting is a lot of work. Right. Adapting yeah. is it's not just ah I take the test that's ready and I, I I just break it down. It you have to take parts which are written and then you transform those in images or you take parts which are narration and then you transform those in dialogue because comics have to be more dynamic than uh, uh, prose otherwise it doesn't look like a comic, it looks like an
0: illustrated Novel. Right. It must help to have an author to work with that's done both. Like, done novel, but also comics, too. Did Did Neil have any input into the adaption?
1: Uh, he saw everything. Yeah, he saw every step of the way, yeah. but he just... He he liked... Yeah, he just liked it. It's like, so here's the... Here's the script. Here's the script. Okay. Yeah. Here's the layout. Okay. Yeah, it's just approval. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but then, you know, um, the funny story about that book is that... Uh, Diana Schultz, our editor, had uh, asked New Gaiman uh, about us doing that adaptation in 2000 and around 2006, when we did details uh, with her for Dark Horse. But by 2006, our career was really starting... Only starting. Yeah, here in the here U.S. In the US. Yeah. No one knew yeah. uh, who we were and what we were capable of. And new Gaiman didn't know us. Um, So, are they, uh, you know, able to adapt this? I don't know their work. I don't know. So, he didn't want to do it. But then, um, 10 years later, mostly, Uh. uh, she tried again. And after, you know, in 10 years, we had published uh, Day Tripper and so many other things. And then... Uh, he said, okay, now I've seen their work, I know they're able to do this and so
0: let's do this. What was it like having to sort of <coughs> break into comics a second time? Like you're breaking in in the Brazilian market, but then you have to break into the American market. What was that journey like? What did it, what did it take in order to go over the hump and be known in, in America? Well,
2: uh, it, it was a very slow process. Mm-hmm. It took 10 years and, like, in the Brazilian market, at the time, it was really hard because we were only publishing, like, a graphic novel a year or a shorter a self-published comic a year. And if you publish only once a year, it's like, ah, you get attention that month, but then for the rest of the year, you don't publish anything and people forget you. So that, in the beginning, that kind of make you want to have to be discovered every year over and over and over again. Yeah. And here, in the beginning, it was kind of like that because we were able, like, to ah, to do a story in an anthology, but that was too little to call attention, or uh, have a book that we did in Brazil be published here, but a very small publisher, and that call a little attention, but still very little. I think only when once we started doing Casanova, which was our first uh, work that started coming out monthly, that really started to change the perception the readers have on our work. (coughs) Because by then we knew a lot of editors, we knew a lot of other artists. uh, But if we're not in front front of the reader's eyes every month, it's harder to make them remember you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So once Casanova started to come out, that helped uh, for us to be in the spotlight of what's going on that help us may uh, be part of the publishing world of comics and and then after that the year of, the year after we did casanova Ba started working on umbrella academy and yeah, i think we had
1: a sequence of years with a project after the other yeah and so it was Casanova, then Umbrella Academy, then Then Day Tripper. Then Day Tripper. No, BBRD. Mm. Then the Day Tripper. Mm. So it was, you know, four or five years with something new every year, monthly. Mm-hmm. Um so that really helped establishing our names as, uh, as artists and creators. You know, after we did Day Tripper, not
0: only artists and um so, so it was kind of day tripper that put you on the map in in America, would you say? I don't well, know. Um, well, maybe with all day tripper, we would have we would <laughs> still
2: have to be like proving ourselves, right? Yeah. But once you have like an Eisner,
0: people no- people notice. Well, we got, well, we we we
1: had we got Eisners an Eisner. So. Yeah, yeah, we got an Eisner for Umbrella Academy and mm. for Sugar Shock. That was a digital comic Fabio did with uh, Joss Whedon. Right. And for a self published anthology, so. You know, in, in 2008, we won three Eisners. Right. So that really helped us, yeah, totally. um, you know, get in, into the eyes of everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, but if, you know, you win three Eisners, people who are at the Eisner ceremony see you who are in San Diego, they come afterwards to congratulate you. And maybe they will read one or two reviews or, you know, reports on how the award went and... But if you don't have the work afterwards for people to look up look out for um, then it's 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 worth nothing yeah
0: so you have to be like very persistent and very hammering (coughs) on like this is who we are this is what we like to do that kind of thing
2: yeah yeah for for us we we early on we we saw that comics is like a, a lifelong commitment it's not something for like ah that's what i want to do and once i did it it's okay i've done it no, it's something that, okay, we did a good book, people love it, but we have to do another book, and mm-hmm. then we have to do the next book, because it's it's not about one experience, it's about, like, a, <coughs> continuing to, be, being able to continue to tell stories, so it's, if we want to tell more stories, then we have to tell them, we, right. we can't, ah, just... Stop and
0: wait, and leave the readers only with what we've done. So, what kind of stories attract you? What kinds of things do you love working on? You mentioned that, like, your collaborators will give you things that play to your strengths. What kinds of narratives speak to you? I think we like
1: um, we like more personal stories, uh, relationship stories, because there's a lot of challenge in that, and I think more readers can relate to that so um, that's the time type of stories that we want that we look out for even in projects that we don't write or that are in a different genre uh, so both for example both umbrella academy and casanova deal a lot with human relations and the relationships between the characters on the story even though one is a sci-fi spy crazy story and the other is a superhero uh, uh, adopted family dysfunctional crazy story as well so but it's about the characters and how they relate to each other and how they overcome their problems to you know save the world or whatever so that's the I think the main focus we try to to look for and but it's not a limitation we could find stories in different genres and we we always we're always looking for a new challenge what haven't we done before what can we do
2: next uh, what what can be done in comics that mm-hmm. haven't been done before yeah
0: right what is it about comics as a medium that attracted you from the very <coughs> beginning like you could have gone into film you could have gone into any other mode of storytelling and yet there's comics so what is it about comics that attracts you.
1: Well, you can make like Avengers Endgame by yourself in comics. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's one of the things that comics are so appealing because it's a very... Uh, you have complete control of the complete process beginning to end. It only It's only up to you. Your success, your failure, everything. So, and that's that's a, that's a really rewarding experience when we when it works. But it's very it's very easy to it's very easy to make something from beginning to end. And this this feeling of making something when you have a self published comic that you you done everything and you take it out or you, you have a fanzine that you photocopied and stapled yourself and you grab it in your hand, this experience is, is, is uh, very rewarding. And, uh, and you did it all by yourself. And you can do everything in comics. You can tell all sorts of stories, uh, all different genres, um, long stories, short stories.
2: Black and white stories, uh, colorful stories, all different techniques. Yeah, There are things that you can only do in comics yeah. because you have the reading experience like a book, but you also have the images. So it's a very me- uh, visual uh, medium. But that mix, it, there, it allows <coughs> a creator to tell the kind of story that has the kind of effect on the reader uh, in a way that books don't have, and in a way that uh, movies don't work like that because on movies you just sit and so watch. and watch. So it's a very passive experience to watch a movie. And reading a comic is a very active experience. You have to read it. You have to make it work inside of, of your head what happens between one panel and the other. So the... Uh, comic book demands more of the reader and if it's well done and if it works the reader feels more rewarded and more invested in a comic book more than in a book and more than in a movie so it, the reader can have a stronger relationship with the work and and that's also why we choose Uh, stories about relationships because if (coughs) we're if the reader is having a relationship with the work a personal relationship and then we tell a personal story then it amplifies the experience and amplifies what the reader can can feel and what he can reflect and think and it can change people's lives so it it comics are a special medium because it allows to do so many things that can't be done in any other medium
0: yeah and you can manipulate a reader's emotions stylistically like depending on if you use a brush and paint or like you can elicit different feelings depending on what the comic page looks like you go on a journey it seems too
1: well you know it's it's art Mm -hmm. and uh, there are some things that are just can't be explained in art, they can just be felt. Mm -hmm. So we have that on our favor as well. And and working with words, uh, with images, uh, words alongside images, the words have a very poetic uh, power as well. Mm -hmm. And the way you choose the right words and choose where to place them in the page Alongside the the images, there's this metric that's very musical and very poetic. So you know, not only it's it's very powerful uh, language, there's all this this great uh, specifics,
2: specificity, specificity, yeah, yes,
1: uh, technical specifics, and um, it's just a. Great uh, language, great uh, medium to work on.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, I speaking of going on a journey, an emotional journey, I want you to talk <laughs> a little bit about *Day Tripper*. That was a book that sort of changed. How I saw comics, I thought I'd seen everything and then I saw this. I, the The confrontation with one's own mortality and, and the value of life was something I've never seen expressed quite this way in comics. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of that particular story and uh, why you chose such a heavy but also life-affirming subject matter.
1: Uh, well... Um... I don't know. I've told this story so many times. Uh, But the the, the bottom line is everyone dies. We have to accept that. But that's not exactly like a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Everything ends. Uh, And if you realize it, then you have to like wake up and, you know, enjoy the time that you have here. Um, So having the same character um, dying in different moments of his life, we had the opportunity to reflect on what uh, life means throughout our entire life. It's just like there was this guy, I was talking to this guy today, he's a teacher, a high school teacher, and he's he was telling me that his students, you know, they're teenagers, and they think high school is the end of life, right? There's lots of uh, kids who have a very hard time in high school, and then they can't see through it. They can't see what comes after because they're having such a hard time. Like, and they're, you know, they 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 had a lot of um, a lot of suicides in his school mm-hmm. this year and uh, among teenagers. And he uses Day Tripper on his classes. So, Day Tripper dealing with, you know, uh, well, your life is hard now, and it may end. But if it doesn't end, maybe, you know, in a few years, it could change entirely. And that helped them realize that, you know, high school is just a phase. And you have to endure it, and uh, because there's going to be another phase afterwards, very rewarding, and or with difficult, uh, different problems. And then there's another phase, and there's there's another phase. And instead of focusing on what's wrong with your life, then you start thinking, well, I've come all this way, I've yeah. done all these things, and let's appreciate that. And every Little phase, every little moment of your life has a lot to offer, and you can learn with bad things or good things, and all the people that you have around you. So um, that's really what uh, Day Tripper, what we try to do with Day Tripper.
0: Were you going through something <coughs> in your life at the time that wanted you to, uh, made you want to confront issues like this? No, uh, not, not, not really. really. No, yeah. you know, like. Indeed, I was,
1: you know, I was, I'm going to tell the story. I was in the shower and I lived next to this very um, um, small small slum in Brazil. And I thought that if, you know, there was a fight and there's like the stray bullet that comes right through my window and hits me and I could die. And I have nothing to do with that fight. You know, I have nothing to do with them. But I could die. Uh, you know, I didn't do anything and I could die right now in the shower. So, you know, we can die at any moment. And you don't have to go to a war to die. You don't have to put yourself in, in danger to die. Um, and also, that's, that's the, the, you know, where the idea came from. But also... When you think about uh, obituaries, and uh, it's funny how, like, big newspapers and t- TV stations, they have um, people, you know, putting information together about uh, important people everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, the president. So they they have president's whole file there ready. By the time he dies, they can put on a big report on his life, all his achievements, what he's done, who he was and everything. So if you work as a, a writing obituaries, you are writing about what people did in life, not how, how they died, simply. What have they, have they done? So it's, it's, it's really what death puts uh, in front of us mm-hmm. when when someone close to you die you are left with this, this overwhelming sensation that I've lived all these things with this person and uh, and I'm not going to live it anymore mm-hmm. uh, so what death presents us is, is life so that's all the things that War in the genesis
0: of, of Day Tripper. Nice. Um, for something like <coughs> Umbrella Academy, uh, I wanted to talk about like the experience of having you, know, your work adapted. Um, tell me a little bit about how you feel now that Umbrella Academy has achieved the success it has, and you know it's gone to Netflix, so even more people know uh, who you are at this point um what is it like being uh an artist who has their work adapted at such a high level and what kinds of emotions do you go through when when that happens well i I think it's it's kind
1: of early to have a real understanding of Mm -hmm. what it means Uh, and i'm in brazil so Mm -hmm. of course people all over the world have seen the series and,
0: um, filmed here, by the way,
1: filmed here, yeah, yeah, mm. I know <coughs> yeah, <coughs> and we, uh, we came here
2: for the shoot,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: and uh, so it, it hasn't changed my life, right, um, I don't have like the changes in sales, but I know there's more interest in the comics, and uh but it's very overwhelming and very hard to grasp this all these people who seen the series and um um all this this is fan art and you know people who love the characters and create their own versions of their stories and and it's very very interesting to see that but again it's too soon for me to know what that really means Mm -hmm. um but it's, it's nice. You know, I, I have lots of friends who have seen the series but haven't read the comics. Um, so, you know, from that very small example of how you can, you know, reach more people uh, with different mediums. But,
0: um, but they're both very different. <coughs> when you go, come to see the shoot... <laughs> do you have feelings about, like, how they've adapted it or, like, watching the series and that sort of thing? They're both very different things to get taken out, things get put in, that kind of thing. What What is the experience of, like, you know, this is my work and now it's something a little bit different? Well, um,
1: it's it's a different thing. Mm. When we, we adapted um, novels into comics, short stories into comics... So we know what it is to take a story from one medium and telling it into a different medium, using the new medium uh, strengths to enhance the story and you know to tell it to a different audience. And that's really <coughs> what's more important to think about uh, when you think about a TV or movie adaptation. It's a different medium, uh, so they have to work with uh, the the tools and the language they have to tell the story. And all the changes that they've done are in favor of the story. So, I've read all the scripts, I've seen uh, concepts for the characters, I helped uh, visually on some, some of them, and all the changes, they make sense for the story they want to tell. So it's not really important if it's different from the original comic, Uh, because (coughs) 60 million people saw the series, and I don't know, 150,000 read the comic. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a lot of people, the only um, Umbrella Academy they know it's the series. So it doesn't matter if it's different from the comic. It matters that it works as a series, as a TV series. If it's well done, well told, uh, using the tools of a a TV series, you know, the episodes, the actors are great, the the scripts are well written, it's well shot, the effects are great. So it's a very well done series. And, And that's more important than being more faithful to the comic. But, I think it's it's um, it's very faithful. Even you know, even with the differences visually, uh, it's very faithful and everything that's very similar to the comic. I think the readers love. I like. Um, so, but you have to understand there are two different things, and um, I think it's a great uh, series.
0: Do you now that it's <coughs> out and as you say, more even more people have seen the series. And Hotel Oblivion is out, and then there's going to be subsequent uh, volumes, and there's sort of a history, like, you know, Game of Thrones. Creators have started, like, writing to the show or whatever that is being adapted. They're, they're writing to what people know best. So do you feel that pressure to start uh, emulating the show rather than maybe your original plan had it never been adapted? Yeah. Um. Uh,
1: No, I don't think so, because especially because our story is very different. Our world is very different from the 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 TV series, Mm -hmm. so uh, we have a plan for all the for the whole story. They know what the plan is, so they can you know follow closely as closely as possible. Uh, But we are gonna tell our story no matter what happens in the series mm-hmm. so we're not we're not the walking dead we're not game of thrones um and we will tell the story even if um the series takes a completely different way uh route so but i don't think they will mm-hmm. they will or you know they might take a different way to get the same points um uh, it's what i think they will do
0: and, Fabio, <coughs> with with the Umbrella Academy being adapted and you guys work so closely together, um, do you feel any pressure to keep up with Gabriel's success? Because like, he's credited on the book and that sort of thing. Is it like, oh, well, he got an adaption. I have to sort of meet that or I have to find something else and, and sort of be at his level again? Like, are, are you ever... Afraid or insecure that you might get eclipsed by your brother as you go along this career journey?
2: Uh, well, it's, it's a distraction to have this much attention to this side of his work. But I think I, I felt more pressure when he was working on the first Umbrella Academy comic than now with the Umbrella Academy series. Because the series <coughs> is... A, like the Netflix series is successful and it brings a lot of attention to Umbrella Academy. But not, that doesn't change how he's doing his comics and how he's creating. So it's distracting, like I said, it's distracting because it calls a lot of attention. But it's I, I felt like I needed to step up more when he was doing something like Umbrella Academy. Uh, the comic for the first time because I saw, wow, he he is pushing himself there to meet all these crazy ideas and that was more inspiring and then pushed me to try to do my best Uh, I think one of the good things about our relationship with each other and with comics (laughs) is that we don't really think uh, something being a movie it's better than something being a comic. Right. Comic is the best version of our work. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter if our work gets translated to something else. It's just another way to tell a story. And we we really care about the way we like to tell stories, which is in comic form. And so so for, for, for me, uh, I really like... Day Tripper was a comic book that we created to be a comic book, right? To work as a comic book, right? And it, it, besides the story, it has all this, these things that work only if you're reading, the the capture, the chapter structure, and the way you go back and forth, and the way you, you can <coughs> read it in one go. Everything, it's was made to be read, so we we spend a lot of time trying to create our stories so they can make sense as a comic book and and not not like not on purpose so they can never be adapted but they have to be the best version of themselves as a comic book and because of that i think what he does in comics uh, calls my attention more than if uh, something is adapted Mm-hmm. and but every pressure and everything uh in our lives is a good pressure because ah, if he achieved that success it's because he pushed his work harder and if he pushes his work harder that means that i ca- can push my work harder as well i should be pushing harder we should always that's the best uh, relationship that we have in the work is that we push it we push ourselves harder every time because we know each other for forever. So we know when one is being lazy or one can do that scene over better. And and we are constantly talking to each other and say, hey, you were, you were tired when you drew that page. Draw it again tomorrow. It will be better. And so we are each other's conscience to push each other to do their best work always.
0: And what happens when a collaborator says, I want Gabriel or I want Fabio or I want both of you. How do you keep working together? Like what if, what if only Fabio gets requested or what if only you get requested? How do you make sure that you're both involved in particular projects? Because the one thing that fame can do is you know, people could hear about one and not the other and that sort of thing. But how do you stay together in this in this journey?
1: Well, um, it really depends on the project. Right. Um, so if it's worth doing alone or, you know, doing without the other, then it's, it's, it's good for both of us. So when Matt Fraction came to us, Uh, with Casanova, for example. Uh, He had seen a comic book that Fabio was doing and he came after Fabio. But we saw the idea of Casanova and it was a sci-fi book uh, with uh, spaceships and, you know... Crazy action. Crazy action, robots. uh, (coughs) And we thought my artwork was better. So... And he he just said yes, and without having too much to rely on. But then I did one arc of Casanova, and I took the, which helped me get uh, the, the job on Umbrella Academy. And, and they came for me. But then we had to keep working on Casanova, and we couldn't just hand over to any artist, because Casanova was so difficult, so complex, so then Fabio took over because I trusted him. I knew he could uh, do all the crazy stuff that Casanova required.
0: And he knows you so well that there's a consistency in style.
1: <coughs> yeah, he, he, was, he was reading the scripts with me. He, was, he saw all the layouts. So he saw all the process of creating Casanova. He was a part of it. So he took over and he created the next chapter of Casanova. And then I came back and then he came back. So that's how we keep um turns on each of Casanova's arc. But it's 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 actually very hard for us to take um take new jobs, new stories. Yeah, we have been with other other collaborators. Yeah, we, we
2: have been taking less <coughs> and less uh Jobs working with other people because more and more we want to focus on only working together, or maybe if he's too no, it, busy, or, and it takes too yeah.
1: long to to do everything. So
2: yeah, making comics it takes too long. Yeah,
1: so we can't really do everything. Mm-hmm. So we have to choose very carefully which projects that we want to to do, and. You know, of course, getting attention uh, will, you know, attract
0: more things,
1: More yeah. things, but it's actually, you know, easy to say no to stuff because we really can't do everything. And we don't want to be seen just as artists. And we have already two uh, long-term projects, Umbrella Academy and Casanova, that we only draw... And the, the, they, are, they are, you know, challenging enough for us. They are different from the type of stuff that we like to write. So we can keep doing that and try to come up with new stories that we could work together uh, instead of, you know, searching for new collaborators and just drawing uh, the story someone else wrote.
0: So do you have anything that you <coughs> are working on together that's just coming up? Like, the la- like wh- what are some of the things that you guys are percolating in your head? And-
2: well, we're trying to come up with a new story to work together. But since what's in front of us right now, it's doing more Umbrella and doing more Casanova. And what we will eventually do together we will still take some, some very long time to come mm-hmm. out. It's better that we focus on what we're doing and not... Like, we, we would hate... Like, we hate to talk about stuff that's not real yet. Yeah. And so we rather wait until our next story yeah, and has it, pages drawn and yeah. written and has a name yeah. and has everything. Everything
1: takes so long that, you know, you can start thinking about the story, but, you know, you don't really write or draw anything. And in six months out of the blue, you get an invitation or a new project that falls into your lap and then you take that and you put that away, the first Mm -hmm. one away. So, unless, you know, unless it's ready, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we don't really talk about anything that we're doing.
0: Yeah, because you can't, you can't really make promises because it might not happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, and
2: especially like the the type of work that we do, (coughs) like we rather have a, book that takes a very long time to be ready but it's the book that we wanted to make then have to make to hurry and make the book the faster the fastest way we can uh, because there's a demand for it uh, because the the life of the book is more important than coming up on time so we rather have a book that's good even if it takes years to make so we only talk about the book that's done and because it's already there. It exists and people can see it and find it. Right. Yeah.
0: And right now you're here at TCAF promoting Hotel Oblivion. Uh, we can't wait to see like the other stuff that you want to come out with. If people want to follow your career, where can they find you on social media?
1: Oh, uh, we have everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, on social media, we are two separate people. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Fabio is... If you look Fabio Moon, you'll find him. If yeah. you look G- Gabriel Bai, you'll find me. Um, we have Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Instagram. We used to have blogs because we are old and, you know, people used to h- write blogs. Um, and, uh, yeah, well,
2: I have a very unreliable newsletter where yeah. I try to make people see what we are <laughs> doing. But in, uh, in order to do the things we are doing, sometimes I can't write the newsletter, which mm-hmm. is Moonbase. Um uh, and but yeah we are very fine very easy to find online and yeah. we try to and if we're not
1: just, online yeah you know putting stuff up all the time it's a good thing because it means we're working mm-hmm. so
0: It's awesome yeah well thank you so much for coming in and uh we'll see you next time on speech bubble
1: all right well, thank, thank you thank for you. having us <laughs>
0: This has been Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberry. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.